guys. Welcome back to Jack of All Trades podcast. I'm here as always with David. Um, today we're going to go over just a little bit of uh, basic trading stuff again. Um, David, I think, wants to show some indicators that he uses for um, his trades on TradingView as well. I know we covered that a little bit last week. So do you want to kick that off first, David? Yeah. So I thought it's going to be a good idea if we started doing these little short little segments every episode on how to do like um, how to do uh, technical analysis and how to use some of the tools. So today I just wanted to show one of my favorite tools or two of my favorite tools, which is um, the Fibonacci uh, retracement and the Fibonacci extension tool. So this is uh, XBank. So there's a reason I chose this, this stock. It's because I know it really well. And right now what I'm doing is I'm actually using the, um, the replay function on TradingView. So this is, this is actually in November, 20, uh, November 2020. And I just wanted to show how you can kind of use these tools because uh, it's, it's not fair to look at a chart going backwards and you already know what happened. But if you're going forward and you don't know what's going to be there, I thought it'd be cooler to show it like that. So, so this is XPeng's price action. So let's say we're, we're, we're in November uh, 11, 2020, and you kind of want to get, get an idea of where the price is going to go. Because when, it, when, it, when a stock goes to an all-time high, you have no previous price action to kind of reference where it might stop at. You, you don't know where the resistances are. So one of the coolest tools to use is the FIB uh, extension tool. And what, it th- and what you do is you, you find the swing low, the previous swing low, the next swing high, the absolute next swing high, and bring it down to the low again, right there. So, th- so you need to connect these three points, and it comes up with this tool. So, and I want to show you how to modify it, too, because this is um, – th- the way it comes out in stock is really ugly. So I, I hate having the background there. I like having the chart kind of clean like this. So these are the levels, and you can, you can um, set these levels yourself, too. Uh, so these are the 618, 7618. So these are all the levels that I've set. And usually you want the 618. That's a, that's a very important FIB number. So 1618, 3618, and whatnot. And then, so you see, if I was trading this thing like, like a month ago, and I did the FIB extension, this thing almost hit the, exactly at the 3618 level, right? And if you go forward in time, let's see if this works. Play. There you go. And you see this price action going forward. Let me just extend this a little bit more. And you try to get an idea of where the stock might go, right? It's, it's kind of following these, these patterns quite closely. Let me keep going forward. And then it had the nice little jump there. It's still going, 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 and I'll pause there, right? So if you're playing by these levels, look, it, it tapped out at the 9 and the 9618 level around there too. So these are like really cool levels to kind of like figure out. Like the 4618, I have it in a different color because that's one of the really important numbers. And look, it kind of tapped out there. So this is a really good way to kind of like figure out uh, where prices are going to go when there's no um, previous price action. And then now... What's going to happen is you're looking at it, you're going to go, well, it looks like it's hit a top and I want to know where to buy in at. So what I do was I'll use the FIB retrace. And like before, you want to take the swing low and you go to the swing high. Yeah, see, this is what it looks like. It's really ugly. Uh, Let me just adjust that. So ugly. I'm not going to change the colors, but I'll get rid of the, uh, the background. But look at this. So I took the swing low to the swing high and it bounced right off the 50. Right. And so that's a really good way to um, to gauge um, uh, where where the positions are good to buy in. I actually started buying in at the 50, but watch what happens where where the 618 level is always the most important. And so watch what happens. And this is now we're into December and. uh, That's it. That's what I was waiting for. It just it just pierced the 618 level. Actually, you know what? That's because I didn't go to the swing low. There you go. So so that was my buy-in. I, I remember I even posted this on Instagram. Like I bought it at 39 bucks and it and it went all the way back up. And so like yeah. this is a good way to d- identify like buying. I'm sorry? I said I think that was the day that I beat you by like 10 cents on my order. <laughs> is that right? I got him like 10 cents longer than you. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that. <laughs> you were at 39, I got in at like 38.8 or something. 
Yeah, you're you you were like almost bang on it. I was a little conservative. It was like thirty eight something. I'm like, ah, I'm gonna I'm gonna front run this thing. I like I like being a little conservative, so I went like thirty nine. But well, you know play. Actually, like in a different way to use those, and because I remember like you were the one that introduced me to Fibonacci lines because I'd never used them before. I had no idea how to use them, so I just started playing around with them on like my day trades. And that, if you look at like on your chart there, that daily, like, you did you did this, you did this way, right? No, no, or, no. Or is it yeah, because like I like to short, right? So. Yeah. If you, you see, let, let me just get the dates here. So like in, in like mid-November, like on the daily, to the beginning of no, November, you had the first little pullback after the spike, right? This one? Yeah. And then that second one there. So if you take your Fibonacci and you go from the top on the second, like on the second consolidation, a little bit higher. So pull, pull your Fibonacci from the very top of that one down to the bottom of that big red candle. Uh, and then you this get, one? You get the, no, no, no. In the same, like in the same consolidation, just right that up a little bit yeah right there now look at the the 2618 line uh, yeah so what i was doing i just noticed that so i was playing like those kind of moves in the morning actually worked out really really well for me so if you get a stock that spikes up first thing in the morning i would always wait for sometimes it doesn't reach that high but i'd get like you know on the one minute candles i'd get you know maybe one or two little red bars it'd spike up a little bit more i get one more little consolidation and then on that second consolidation, that's what I do is I'd pull the Fibonacci from the top of that down to the bottom. And then I'd short it right at the two at the two six one eight. And then I'd cover it down into the one six one eight, usually two thirds, and then I'd cover the last third down back into the one hundred line. And it worked like like probably eight 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 out of ten times that would work perfectly. It was really cool. Yeah. Actually, I know a lot of people that don't use the Fib extension and they use the Fib retrace because a little bit it's a little bit easier because you need two points versus the three. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, but it's yeah, it's very good. It's like almost the same idea. And like the six one, there's something about the six one eight number. It's just it's just super Ooh. accurate. It's, it's I like that on. towards like the end of the day. Like if you get like a really good, um, like again on the small cap stuff. Like if you get a stock that's kind of breaking out. Like if as soon as you get like you know you get a consolidation all day when the stock starts to break out towards the end of the day, you get that breakout and then that first big pullback before it pushes again higher. If you do the same thing you did there and you take the Fibonacci on that first big pullback. That's usually going to be the top of that run, like into the end of the day. So I'd I'd oh. short that up as well. I'd short that at the top of the day, and then and then and then cover it down at the close. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I yeah, was just so playing with them after you showed me them for a while, and I thought that was it was pretty cool. Like they're they're really accurate. Yeah, and this, so that's what I like about uh, this thing. Like you could like I've spent hours, you probably spent hours too. Like you just take the fib and you just go back test this thing and like any chart, anything that you're trying to watch and just see how accurate it is, and then you kind of figure out how to. De, uh, how to determine the, the highs and lows because it does take a, take a little bit of playing around mm -hmm. but um but like so i remember i got in at like this the 39 level and then what i did was you could you could use the fib retrace backwards too so you go to you go to the swing high and the swing low oops did i do that right hang on oh hang on oh i got rid of my numbers hang on let me just do this no i can't do oh it's not a log that's why Ah, uh, okay. Let me just change this thing around a little bit. Oh, I got rid of my numbers. Sorry. So I, I while we were talking, I got rid of these numbers, and that's what I wanted. Uh, actually, those aren't important. The six one eight is the most important. I'll put the six five there too. So, uh, so you could you could pull from the swing high to the swing low, and then it actually works backwards too. I'll, I'll play forward, and then I ended up selling. I think somewhere around the six one eight. Okay. I ended up selling right there, the 0.5, and that's before it, where it pulled back. So, so that's like a good way to to find out like where it's going to top up. Yeah, so I did end up selling the 618. I remember that. So it pulls so it pulls back to the 618, and it just took a dump after that. Right. And so like, what I noticed like on the on the larger time frames, like we we talked about this all the time, like market forces and news kind of change the direction of the the technicals, but. If there's no news and it's just regular trading, like you, these things follow the fibs really, really well. Yes. And yeah, and I can imagine for the timeframes that you play, like it's 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 since it's it's less, um, what is it less, at the mercy of news and whatnot. It's probably like super accurate. Yeah, yeah, it was like it was really close because I mean, unless odds of getting a news article in the middle of the day or something is you know it happens, but it's pretty rare, so you don't yeah. really have to worry about that kind of stuff too much. Yeah, and I want to just show one other thing that I think worked out really well. So the Fib extension works backwards to swing top, high, low, high, and it gives you an extension there. And I'll pull up this these numbers because, like, so uh, what is it? X Bank started crashing like 
uh, like around with with the the whole the rest of the market, right. and and it's a good and and this was the first swing low, and so you wanted to know if it's going to swing low again, where would it stop? And I think this number was where it stopped at. It was pretty accurate. There you go. Oh no, it went forward. It went even more. Oh, yeah. Maybe it was the six eight. It was like almost at the end of um where is this thing? Did I close open all these? Uh oh, you know what it is? I had another chart where I think I had like eight six one eight. It was like a custom number. Because mm. you could play around to see what works. I think that was the one where it hit. Oh, almost. Did I do that wrong then? <clears throat> oh, fib. because uh, I'm on log skills. Sorry, that's what happened. So if I, so make so if I make it not log, I think it'll be more accurate. Because that's what like Fibonacci is usually what you use for almost all your trades, right? Yeah, it's what I use for um to whenever I'm especially with like because because I, I used it a lot with Bitcoin because it's like if you don't um if you don't uh have like previous price action to figure out where things are gonna be then it's like what do you do like all all you have to rely on is, is fibs right. And the thing is, like, now, now, because uh, now that this thing has previous price action, like, you know, we would just draw a, so the resistance line. You could see, like, it bounced right off the resistance, which was previous yeah. support. And it's like, so it's, so it's starting to play really technical now. But what, but before, when there's no previous price action, it's like, what do you have to go on? Yeah. And like a lot of the time in like day trades and stuff like that, I mean, you have, you know, you look back a couple of years or whatever, you can look at the daily chart. So you can almost use that as a secondary indicator. Like, if it's, you look back to right. 2018, for example, a couple of years ago, and, you have a stock that's spiking up to new new highs over even the past you know two years then you can use that that's what i was doing is drawing those lines in for my shorts and then i'd look way back and you know if the fibonacci like was hitting i don't know say the stock like it's you know it's hitting 715 for example like seven dollars and 15 cents and i look way back and i see there's big daily resistance at like 720 then i'm like okay like that's perfect i got two things lining up now yeah it's super cool I don't know why it's not lining up. I, I wish I was because this is the account that I made that doesn't have my own indicators. But oh. I could swear I, I wish I could swear the one where I had my own indicators it was um was bang on. I, I used the extension to one, it was bang on, uh bounce right off this, but hmm. I don't know, maybe I'll post it around later. But anyway, that's how these tools are used and you can customize them and they're pretty cool too. Yeah. Um, yeah, you oh, can yeah, use that. way. Like, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing for for anybody is just um you know, like like we said, you're, you're just drawn basically from tops to bottoms of, of, of full size ranges and then just play around with them on whatever kind of trade you're looking for. If you're looking for a short or a long or a dip buy or whatever and just back test like, you know, David said, I, I took hours. I'd say I definitely took days back testing it before I started using it. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it's just fun. Like this is like this is still the free version, too. So you, you can just like go on here and play like but look how technical this thing's trading, right? Yeah. That's what I like to yeah. see. Yeah. All right. So that's it for me. Earnings. Uh, earnings surprise the downside. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, that's it for the trading view thing. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to touch on was like, uh, unless you want to go do anything first. Um, no, that's all you, man. Yeah. So, uh, so like, if you like, I posted on Facebook. I bought a Tesla, obviously, or put a down payment on on a Tesla. But then one of the biggest things I had to think about was like, do I do I want to exit some of my investments and pay it off in full? Because it was like uh, before tax, it was like seventy one thousand something like that. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, do I want to take take a lot of my money out of the market and pay it off in full, or put like a decent down payment and then get it financed, right? And uh, and we we're in a low interest environment too, so that's why I kind of pulled the trigger on it now because I wanted to lock in the interest rate. So I saw. For Tesla, it was um, three percent interest if you want to do like up to ninety months, and it was seven. It was two point four nine percent interest up to seventy two months. So it's a little bit cheaper if you want to do like a shorter term. Mm -hmm. And then when I went into the dealership, the guy says, "Well, Scotia's running a promotion right now. It's not on the books, but if you just apply, you're going to get two percent." I'm like, "Holy shit! You're just giving you're just giving that away, then, right?" So so I put the calculator in. Um, so I so I ended up putting like a twenty five hundred deposit with fifteen thousand down payment so like 7500 17500 down payment and so basically scotia this is the amount scotia loaned me 63300 and change at 2% interest over 72 weeks and so what i found was like 
basically to borrow $63,000 will only cost me just under four grand. Right. And that's over the six years, right? So I'm like, so the calculation is really simple. It's like, if I have the $63,000 free to invest in, am I going to do better than $4,000 return in six years? I sure as hell hope so. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. if I can't do that, I should just quit. Like, just stop. Yeah. Like, if, even if I just bought the S&P, bought an index fund, I should be getting like 6 7%, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was just going to say, I just, you know, 63,000 times 8%, which is the S&P, that's 5,000 bucks. So you, put that, so you put that 63,000 in the S&P for a year, take it out. You've already earned over a thousand dollars on what you're paying on interest. Yeah. Just absolute no brainer trade. Don't even, no stock picking, no, no work at all. I'm still making up better than, you know, if I paid it off in full. Yeah. It's a, it's a really fun, I, I, I can't remember if we mentioned this on one of the other podcasts or if I was just telling you about it, but it was when I, I read that article like a month or so or a few weeks back about this is the exact same thing only with mortgages, right? Like on, you know, to, like I just saw the, it was on Bloomberg or something and it was like, uh, the title was why, like, you know, why you shouldn't pay your mortgage off now and keep investing your money. And I looked at it and I was like, I was like, ah, oh, cause it's something I never really thought about. Right. You know, your whole life, everyone's like, oh, you get a mortgage, just every spare nickel you have, you, you just pay it off, pay it, like, just keep paying into it, paying into it. I was like, okay, this is interesting. Let's give this a read. So I was reading into it and the whole theory behind it was exactly what you just said. It was like, you know, okay, if you're, you know, let's say. I don't know, for argument's sake, you have 2000 bucks a month extra that's just, you know, savings. So, okay, maybe you're going to put 1000 or 1500 bucks of that into the, into the mortgage every month as like extra payments. So you could either do that or you could have, save that money for the year and then you're paying, you have 15000 bucks or 12000 bucks or whatever every year extra that you can invest in the markets and make even more money on, right? So it's the exact same theory. It's like, why would you, why would you pay it off in little pieces when you could say, you know, if you have a, say you have a 30 year mortgage, instead of chipping away at it, you just save all that money for, you know, 10, 12, 15 years, even whatever it is, invest all that money, earn all that interest, and then you can pay it off all in one big lump sum. And then overall, you've actually earned quite a bit more money than if you had to just paid it off in little pieces, like a lot more money. <laughs> you know, like we're yeah. saying right here, even on your Tesla in one year on the S&P, which is, you know, that's like everybody's safe bet. Basically, you you would earn on that on that lump sum of money. You would you'd be pretty guaranteed to earn a thousand bucks more than what you'd be paying over six years in interest in one year. So if you do that well, yeah. for the whole six years, you know you're going to be up basically thirty thousand dollars that you wouldn't have if you had to bought the car outright. Which is really weird because <laughs> nobody ever tells you that stuff, right? But it's it's yeah. if you look at the math, it's a no brainer. Yeah, exactly. It's like if you just put it in, in the no-brainer index, not only does that return cover the interest that I'm paying Scotia, but I'm making out a little bit extra on top. It's like, but it's like until you visualize it a little bit, it's hard to to think about. But once you do, you're like, this is so obvious. The the, the play is so obvious. Yeah, like it's 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 almost just like one of those things. You know, it's it's kind of a pain to like you know see your your you have payments every month for something like coming out of your yeah. account, but. On the flip yeah. side, financially, it's it makes perfect sense. It's it's the weirdest thing, but I mean, you know, like it's the way a lot of businesses run too, right? Like you look at Donald Trump, like he's a professional at taking loans. That's all he does. Like the guys, the guys in debt, and he's still worth millions of dollars, right? Because <laughs> he's yeah. just a professional at taking loans. But even business, right. any kind of business, I mean, every business starts out with big loans, right? Like let's you know, let, let's say you had uh, you know you had this vision, you want to make your own company then, you know, what do you do? Do you, okay, I need, I need a hundred grand to start this company. So I'm going to work for the next 20 years, whatever it is, try and save up a hundred grand. You know, I'm just at my regular day job. It takes me say 20 years to save a hundred thousand dollars that I can afford to put down towards this business. Okay. Now I'm, you know, 40 years old, put all this money down towards the business. Now I'm starting from square one at 40 years old, or you could take a loan, start the business now when you're 20 and then work your ass off, get the business up and running, pay off that loan in, you know, say five or six years, if you're running a pretty successful business. And now at 25, 26 years old, you're, you're where you would have been when you were 40. Right. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Like, uh, it's hard to look at time as an asset, but time is an asset too. And if you, as an asset that has monetary value in terms of income generation, then you can kind of look at things in like almost a 3d perspective versus kind of flat two dimensional, like, you know, and like, 
and I think it like, especially like business, like that, that's kind of like where I learned it from like businesses, like, like I'll give you a perfect example. It's like Tesla financial engineering is like one of the keys to like Apple success and Tesla success. Right. So Tesla mm -hmm. does something very interesting with their suppliers They, I think they're on a 45 or 60 day, um, billing cycle with their suppliers. Right. So they'll order whatever, and they'll pay them like 45 and 60 days later. Right. But because their vehicles are made to order and they deliver every vehicle and they have, don't hold any inventory, they get that money back within 30 days. So they almost get like an extra 15, 15 days of extra cash flow there um, okay. per, per, per car sold. So they, so, they, so they have extra cushion, right? So like, right. Uh, so like some of the best companies in the world, especially like Apple, like they know how to mess with the, with the finances in the background. And that's like, and that's the key to success. It's not just so much like, oh, you have a really great product, you have a great marketing, and it sells a lot. It's like, no, if you if you handle the back end, you can have a pretty shitty product and pretty mediocre uh, marketing, but you could still be quite profitable. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 just basically about money management, right? Like, yeah, it's it's the thing that literally separates you know the the wealthy from the not so wealthy. It can make a huge difference in everyone's life, no matter you know what your income is. And it's the one thing that they don't teach you in school. <laughs> no, no. And, and I just learned something else more recently too, like, cause we talk about owning assets, right? And like, mm -hmm. I, I didn't realize it until recently. Like it's something you kind of know in the back of our head, but until somebody says it, you don't recognize it. It's like, there's, there's productive assets and there's non-productive assets. Mm -hmm. So like a productive asset, it's like a home. You own it, it can accrue value. It has, you know, it has value, but then you can also use it for something you live in it. Right. right. So like a car is kind of a productive asset too, but then there's non-productive assets with like gold. So what does that do? Nothing. Right. <laughs> right. You buy it today, you might sell it for more later, but in the meantime, it does nothing. Right. right. So then sometimes like when you're looking at investments, you should look at the asset, you should split those into two categories too, and say, maybe I shouldn't be all in on these non-productive assets. Even stocks are non-productive. Right. Mm. So you think you kind of split the portfolio a little bit, like, let me buy something that's productive. Let me buy something that's not non-productive and, you know, kind of hedge your hedge a little bit, but not go all in and in, in either or. Right. Right. Because well, like dividends. Yeah. Because we're not. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because we're not rich. So it's like we have a, a limited pool of money to play with. And so like we have to be very wise in how we kind of like spread it around a little bit. Right. Yeah. It's like I mean, like like for you or I, like we have like pretty much almost all of our money is in the markets to some degree, right? So, yeah, yeah. you know, I have like, let's say, you know, let's say I have all my money in the markets and it's a bad year. And then, you know, my, my furnace explodes and I got to spend you know, <laughs> 10 grand to fix my furnace. It's like, shit, I got to sell this stock for, you know, a $20,000 loss. So there's going to be a $30,000 furnace I got to install because I got to take that money out. Right. Yeah. So it's like, I kind of play this, this, this dance around having, having money that you can use, but also being able to turn it into more money effectively. And that's, that's really what diversification is, right? Like, I mean, everybody does it in different ways. You could have, like you said, you have your house, you have some dividend stocks, you have some growth stocks. Like for me, I day trade. So I'm like, I like one of my accounts is always liquid money. Like I can take, I never, I never hold anything overnight. And then I have my investment one, which is always pretty much just, you know, in the markets, it's just always in stocks. Right. So if anything did happen, absolute worst case scenario, I always have my day trading account to take it out of. And then the next step is real estate, which becomes even less liquid. And but you, you always want to have you always want to have varying levels, right? Like, I mean, like real estate is very difficult to get rid of in a hurt. Not very difficult, but it's 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 tougher to turn that into cash immediately. Yeah. The next step would be a long term investment. It's you can turn it into cash immediately. But, it, you know, are you up or are you down on the stock? Right. And then the next step would be kind of like day trading as far as investments go. Is it something or, you know, short term swing trading, something that you're constantly turning over and making more money that's usable. Yeah, it's a really good point. There's like how, how I guess it goes back to the question of time too. like how liquid is, is an asset, right? Like you're saying, like your yeah, houses, like you could sell a house quickly, but the, the faster you sell it, the probably less value you're going to get out of it, right? Right. probably have to sell it for less and then you have to stage it like you maybe pay less for staging or pay more for an agent like you, you start to lose right so like i, I think we might have covered this on the first episode but i think like like there's a huge there's always been this debate like because guys like mark cuban who are, are always like uh diversification is for idiots like right. even even warren buffett has said well, sometimes like diversification is for idiots but i think but i think like but i think they don't realize that most people are interpreting what they're saying incorrectly. Like, cause what they're saying is diversifying. Like this is, this is the wrong diversification, having a portfolio of stocks 
like I'll, I'll, I'll own a car company and I'll own maybe Apple and I'll own maybe, I don't know, Netflix or something. People think that's diversification because these are like three different stocks and three different industries. Like, no, they're all still stocks. If the stock market crashed, you're still fucked. Right. Right. So it's like when Warren Buffett says diversification is for idiots, he's met, he's saying that kind of diversification is for idiots. Right. These guys are thinking at a high level. They're like diversification means I'll have a portfolio, entire asset portfolio of property, stocks, bonds, gold, like a whole bunch of different asset classes. Right. So if the right. stock market crashes, my home might hold value or might gain value. And so like these are un almost uncorrelated. Right. Right. It's funny when, when you first said that, the first thing that popped into my mind when you said like, you know, someone like Warren Buffett says diversification is for idiots. I, I was thinking you were going to say that he means like, do like do what you know kind of thing, right? Like don't try oh. and like, you know, don't try and short something if you're if you're a long bias trader or whatever. But that yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So like I think people misinterpret what they're saying, like diversification is for idiots. Like yes and no. It just depends on what, what, what you mean, right? Yeah. And like, yeah. You never really so, get trapped like that, right? No. And that's why like, that's why I bought the Tesla because like, I've sat through a few crashes and I'm like, I don't feel like sitting through another bear market unless I have some other kind of assets. Cause like, it's a, it's a pretty helpless feeling when you're like, when you're, when your stocks are down and you, there's nothing you could do, but you don't want to sell it Yeah. when it's down. Right. So it's like, I want to, I want to get some productive asset, uh, out of, out of my investment. So I'll put it, put some money, I'll take some of my, take some profit and I'll put it into Tesla or get put it into the car. So I have a productive asset too. Right. 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 Makes sense. And we're talking about how like they hold their value too, just in case if I ever need to sell it or whatever. Yeah, I was actually because I'm looking at buying, uh, I'm looking at buying one in the fall potentially, and um, yeah, I was I was doing some research into them, and they were like a lot of the articles I was reading, and like even just from doing research on used Teslas that are for sale, is they're saying that over over the same period of time, like over like a three to four year period, based on you know the same driving and external factors stuff like that. Vehicles that are in the same class as whatever Tesla vehicle it is depreciate on average about 30 to 34 percent, whereas the Teslas depreciate only 10 percent. So if you buy, you know, like let's say they're both hundred thousand dollar cars, you know, every over over a period of three to four years, that Tesla might only go down, say, ten thousand bucks or, you know, more if you're driving a lot of kilometers or whatever it's going to be. But over the same period of time, a car like a gas vehicle that's in the same class would go down, say, thirty thousand bucks or more. So over those, you know, three to four years, you know, unre I guess you call it unrealized gains. It's still a loss because it's a vehicle, but, you know, call it unrealized loss saving, you know, an extra five, five or six thousand bucks a year. Yeah. 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 Oh, you're frozen there a little bit. All right. We are back. We just had some technical difficulties. So keep things rolling along. Can't really remember what we were talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but I did want to get, we're, where I did want to get uh, your idea because so I was driving the other day and I was trying to I was just thinking about part of my portfolio and you know how I'm kind of a pessimist right so I'm always thinking like maybe I should get out of the market or how much should I get out of the market how much right. should I go into cash and whatnot so I thought of a strategy that's kind of like a swing trade or position trading but kind of not it's kind of have you ever heard of this game named uh, Nassim Taleb mm, is that the is that the guy that used to work for Facebook uh, no, that's Chamath. Uh, so Nassim is like he's almost he he has a quant firm, uh, and he he made quite a few quite a, quite a bit of money during the 08 um, recession. Okay. Um, so that's how his so his claim to fame was a book he wrote called Black Swan, and the whole theory about that is like, um, if if you most people go through the if you go through the world and you only see ever see white swans, you think only white swans ever exist, right? right. So that's the that's the conventional wisdom. There's only a white swan even if there's millions and millions of white swans, but it only takes one black swan to show up to, 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 to change the whole narrative, to make that what was once true completely false, yep. right? And so his whole trading strategy, uh, his firm's trading strategy is kind of based on that. It's like, they'll make thousands of small bets against that basically counter trades the market. And then they'll basically lose a, a little bit of money consistently. But the one time they're right, they make like a hundred X. Hmm. Right. So, it's really so weird. it's really weird style. Yeah. It's, oh, so it's a really <laughs> right. And so it's kind of like what I'm thinking, not as, not as crazy, but it's kind of what I'm thinking. Like I haven't decided yet, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. So like my strategy is, so right now I'm like, my, my, my I'm like maybe 10% in cash, right? 90% I'm holding equities and mm -hmm. I'm worried that the next few years, 
might be either choppy sideways or, or, or there's a chance it might go down, right? That's just my view. And so my thought is like, if we get any kind of like uh, a little bit of a rally this summer, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start selling my my stuff. Maybe even sometimes at a loss. I just want to be in cash for a bit till I can figure out what, what's gonna happen. Mm. And then so my next thought was like, well, if I'm sitting in all that cash, what do I do? Because we were talking about productive assets, and you know, you want that cash to do something, right? And so I was thinking like, what if I had a strategy where it was kind of like in the seams where I'll just sit in cash for a while, and I, I will only ever buy like hard pullbacks. Right. So I'll give you an example. So like over the last 10 years, Tesla has pulled back six or seven times, 35% and at least three different times, 50%. Okay. And so my, my idea is I'll have like a small group of stocks, maybe five or six that I'll watch consistently. And I'll kind of like track their pullback. So like, you know, uh, Apple will pull back on average, maybe five, 6% if it pulls back hard, you know, Tesla will do like 35 to 50. And so I'll sit in cash and I'll just wait for that one hard pullback. Uh, so like, imagine if, if you, if you caught Tesla pulling back 35%, if it just went back to original price, you just made 50% on your investment. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, and so that's, that's what I'm wondering, like, cause I'm like thinking, 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 think about it this way. Like if I have a portfolio that grows at 15% a year for 10 years, I might do like 150% return on that portfolio. Right. But if during those 10 years, I almost don't deploy that money at all. I just catch one of these, you know, March, 2020. 50% dips, I've doubled my money. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm like, so I'm wondering, like, I haven't done the math yet, but I'm wondering if that would be, should be part of my strategy now, like just sit like 40% in stocks that I like and just continue doing what I'm doing, but have 60% cash, just kind of just have it sit there. Just kind of like take advantage of these pullbacks. Yeah. It's a tricky question. I think it, I think it really depends on how much money you have at the time and how much you're like where, where you at in your life for, for any, not just for you, but for anybody. Like I, I, the idea of that is makes a lot of sense. I mean, like, like, you know, when you first said that and I said, I don't like the idea, I thought you meant that he was just like, you know, every day he was just putting little bits of money and everything constantly to try and wait for something to go wild, which is kind of weird. And I don't think that's a very smart thing to do, but if, yeah, if he's just, if he's just sitting in cash, I mean, like that's, that's, I think almost very common for a lot of the, the guys that are big traders. I mean, I hear that all the time, you know, guys will say, like if I don't know what's going on or I don't see anything, there's nothing wrong. It's actually sometimes the best move is to do nothing, right? If there's nothing you like, you don't have to just put your money in something. Like if you know your A plus setups and you know what makes you money and you don't see one, then you're gambling, right? And you know, if you're if you're trying to make a living off of it, you don't ever want to gamble because then you're just risking everything, right? But I like the idea of that. I mean, like from, from my perspective, you know, the guys, the guys that I'm kind of involved with, you know, we always preach that the black swans are the things that you want to watch out for. Cause you know, like I'm predominantly a short seller now and it's, it's the same story only in reverse. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm shorting small cap stocks. So like I'm trying to make 10, 20, 30, 40 cents on a move or whatever, pretty consistently every day, but you can do that for a year. And if you get overconfident and you get one of those black swans, which do happen, you know, like, you look at uh, any of the Bitcoin stocks from 2017, like what are some other ones like LAKE, you know, GME, like all, all that stuff, right? If you get one of those and you're doing the same thing you always do, let's say, you know, like, like you short something at, you know, $2 and 50 cents and then you keep adding and adding and adding like it can go up to $50. Like it can cost you millions of dollars. It can wipe out a whole year's worth of profits if you're not getting could blow you up completely. It could end your career in one trade, right? Which is yeah. really, really something that you always got to be aware of. That's why, like for me personally, I mean, on the long side, it's not as big of a deal because, you know, most you lose is what you put in, right? But on the short side, you can blow everything and, and more. You can put yourself in debt, right? That's why I always preach risk management and stuff like that. But um, I mean, that's, if, if you look at any guy, anyone who's a really big investor, I mean, all of them pretty much that I've read about have said, you know, 95% of their wealth is made from 1% of their trades or 2% of their trades, because that's what they're doing. They have, they have this consistent system where they're like, okay, I know I can make, you know, X amount of dollars on a weekly or a monthly basis or whatever, but they're always ready for that one that like you're talking about where it's like, okay, like this is it, you know, that we got a huge market crash, throw everything at it. And then, you know, maybe last year, the big guys, you know, they made 20, $30 million, whatever. In this one trade, maybe over a few months, they're going to make two hundred million dollars, which is yeah. a decade of what they're usually making, right? Like, 
it, but yeah. but I see it all, I see it all the time in day trading too. Like for example, like there, there's a handful of guys I follow and like they've been doing this for decades, so they know what they're doing and everything. But like on GME and stuff like that, good example. One guy I follow his his consistent daily wins are you know I would say in the neighborhood of like two to five thousand bucks, maybe probably around like three thousand bucks on average is like what he makes every day. And he'll do that for eight, nine, 10 months every day. He'll make two or 3,000, 4,000 bucks. And then on GME, I saw him make $400,000 one day, right? So he's, he's making, you know, almost a whole year in half an hour when he sees that one black swan move, right? So I, I think the, the idea behind that is something that everybody does. It's just, it's just a matter of how much capital you can sit aside to prepare for that and how often that particular trade is going to happen. Because in in small caps and stuff like you'll you'll see one of those kind of moves maybe i don't know maybe a couple times a year like probably more now because there's more retail traders but you know i would say maybe a small handful of times a year if you're lucky you might get those big monster moves that you can capitalize on but i don't know i don't know as much about you know the the big caps or the the broader markets that's that's maybe that's something you have to wait for like an actual like market pullback so maybe it's like we had in 2008 that's when you get your move and then maybe you don't get it again until 2025 right who knows but by the same token i mean if if you're gonna make you know if you're making 100 grand a year for example every year every year every year and then 15 years go by and you're doing that and then all of a sudden you get this big crash maybe you can make 50 million dollars in a few months right so i think i think the idea behind it is makes a lot of sense it's just you know depending on what type of black swan you're looking for when's it going to happen and you got to be ready to spot it you got to be prepared mentally to, to throw the kind of size at it that you need to in order to make sitting that long in cash worthwhile, right? Because if you're only going to yeah. take a small position and you've been sitting in 60% cash for a decade, then it probably wasn't worth it. But if you've been sitting in 60% cash for a decade and it's like, okay, I'm throwing everything I got at this thing because I know that this is what I've been waiting for, then I would say it's worth it. Yeah, that's actually the way I want to go about it. Instead of spreading it out, I want to, that's why I want to just watch like five stocks. And I'm waiting for a market pullback. I'm not waiting for the stock to kind of independently pull back because of bad earnings. I'm waiting for like a market thing that just the, the entire market sells off. So it's uncontrollable. Right. And then I just want to cash, catch it, put like, you know, 40% of my portfolio in that one like pullback and then right. see what happens. Because what made me realize like, so, because I was looking at my chart for my RSP, right? I've had that uh, since 2012, so like nine years. Like I'm beating the S&P. Like I, I did like a 300% return in like five years. Like I'm beating the S&P handedly. But that one COVID play, like I, I almost 4X my money because I was sitting in 65% in cash when the market tanked like 35%. Right. And Tesla w- went down like, I don't know, 70%, right? That one move just erased five years worth of work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you've done it, right? So you've already done it before. That's that's a good point too, is if you are looking at just a couple of companies, I was, I was watching a thing, uh, an interview with Jeff Bezos the other day, and he was saying, you know, he kind of made the point that the company is not the stock. Like the stock price isn't the company necessarily. He's like, I've sat there in the office of Amazon and I've seen that our sales are through the roof. Our earnings are through the roof. Our consumers are through the roof. Our deliveries are through the roof. And the stock price has been steadily declining for two months. So he's like, everything I'm seeing on the company is going up and up and up. And the stock price is going down. He's like, the stock price is not the company. So that's not necessarily as correlated as people want to think it is. So if you do get a huge market pullback like that, that's a, a really good thing to remember is that that stock is not necessarily the company. So you're buying it at a discount. Yeah. Cause like, uh, you, cause you know, I've spent like the last few weeks just looking at just charts, right. Especially the S and P, like I've looked through like 150 years of the S and P and I'm looking at all these pullbacks yeah. and I'm like, when a market pulls back, I don't care how good of a company you are. You, you're, you're going, you're going down. Right. 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 And I think, uh, Amazon went down like 50 or 60% during the dot com. No, it went down 80% during the dot com bust. And it went down like 50% during the uh, financial crisis. And really? those happened within, yeah, and those happened within seven years of each other. So imagine if you'd have bought Amazon and it went down 80%, even if you caught it at the 60% mark, went down 60%, if it yeah. just returned the previous previous high, you would have almost three extra money. Right. And then, and then like a quick seven years later, the financial crisis happens, you do it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then last year, COVID happens. You do it again, like yeah. Within yeah. like a, within just a twenty-year period, you do three trades, and you probably like a hundred extra portfolio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
that's the thing, right? I mean, like, I, like that's why I think all these guys, that's why they say that's where they make most of their money, right? But the, the reason we have to trade all the time is because we need money. Like, we need an income, right? Yeah. So, like, yeah. you know, I, I can't just be like, oh, I got X amount of dollars in the bank. I'm just going to. I'm just going to sit here and look around for a decade and wait for a trade to come. You can't do that, right? Like you need to pay your bills. So it's yeah. like you got to have that that little consistent income. But I mean, that that's that's probably the big game plan. I mean, like I wasn't ready for the last crash because, you know, I'd been day trading and I wasn't at a point where I had enough capital in the bank to really invest in anything like that. But like for the next one, I'm you can definitely bet I'm going to be ready to throw some serious money at it and get a good pullback. Like, yeah, you know. yeah. No, that's so, a great point. Like I wouldn't have, I, I wouldn't have done this like five years ago, even, or definitely not before that, but even five years ago, I wouldn't have done this. Yeah. But like I've touched on it before where like the more I look at my portfolio, the more I realize like I'm starting to get risk averse. I'm like, cause like, like just right now, like if, if, if last year I did really well in my portfolio and I'm, and if the stock market pulls back even 20%, I've just lost a big chunk of my gains. Right. Right. Um, and so like for me, this now I'm like, I'm like, I want to change my strategy to, to where like, it's less about maximizing returns and it's more about preserving capital. Okay. Right. Cause like, cause I think it's like when, when you're, it's almost like a startup idea. It's like when you, when you, when you have a small portfolio, you're a startup, you're like scrapping, you have nothing to lose. You just want to go gung ho and just go all in. Right. But after you're kind of like established, you're like, you kind of want to preserve what you already have. Right. Right. Cause like a 50% market pullback, like, let's say we have like another financial crisis. So 50%, it took three and a half, almost four years for the entire market to get back to where it previously was. Right. So if I like, so what am I going to do? I'm a hundred percent in equities right now. We have one of those. And for the next four years, I'm just sitting there. Yeah. You're stuck. I'm stuck. Yeah. yeah. But if I had even 20% of my portfolio in cash, I'm right. kind of giggling. I'm, I'm kind of giggling on the side, you know? <laughs> Well, that's that's where you know diversification of trading style i think is yeah. a big important role in that right i mean if you're let's you, let's say you have 30 percent in long-term investments you have 30 percent that you short-term swing trade you have 30 percent that you day trade and then you're you know i don't know i wasn't not doing math when i was saying all that whatever's <laughs> not you're just saying cash yeah. <laughs> right or you know you start like when you have extra money you buy some real estate right like whatever it's going to be it's it's got to be spread out enough that you can actually capitalize on those things which is difficult to do until you get to that point. So I think a lot of people like, you know, a lot of people need to work their way up to that to the point where they can actually have enough cash to be able to throw into something like that. Right. So yeah. it takes time. It, it takes time to get there. Like I just said, I, I wasn't ready for the one, you know, a year ago or whatever, because I wasn't in a position where I had that kind of money to throw into it. So I just, I sat there and watched it and I studied it and I learned, but I didn't, I didn't make any money on it. So. Yeah. Yeah. And like, even before the COVID crash, um, I was already kind of like, because the reason, the big reason I was sitting 65% in cash was was for two things. One, um, one of the first investment books I ever read was Warren Buffett's, and, I, and, I, and it turns out that he paid the bulk of his original fortune uh, in the 1971 crash. Um, because 19, the late 60s, he had a partnership, he was investing people's money, he had like $3 million in the partnership, and he was experiencing exactly what we're experiencing right now where the market was just bipolar and didn't make sense. And he's like, I, I don't understand what's happening. Right. Mm -hmm. And so because he's a responsible guy. He's like, let me, let me, let me dissolve the partnership. I'll give everybody back with his neighbors and his family's money. I'll give everybody back the profits. And I, cause I just don't feel comfortable investing in this thing anymore. Mm -hmm. And so when the 1971 crash happened, I think that was like a 70% pullback, 65, 70% pullback. The guy was sitting at like $3 million. Yeah. And he was buying like good companies for like 10 cents on the dollar. Right, right. And he, and like within two years, he, he like, like worth a hundred million dollars just because he was just, you know. Yeah. And then, and then the other thing I realized after that was like just before the COVID crash, I'm looking at horrible financial crisis and I'm looking at just the FANG stocks, you know, like over new stocks, right? Netflix, Amazon, Facebook, whatever. Mm. If, if even coming out of it, if, even if you come out of it during like late 2009, if you'd have put any money in the those five stocks, they would have returned you anywhere between 10 to 16 percent pre-COVID. Right. right. So it's, sorry, 10 to 16 X. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so like I was sitting in cash 
because of those two things. Like I, I saw the COVID thing happen. I'm like, let me start. And Tesla happened to be kind of going up at that time. I'm like, I need to start selling. And like, right. and I and I started selling really early too. Like I started selling at three hundred eighty-five dollars, which was the previous high. And Tesla that was and Tesla topped out at a thousand, but I was already selling at three eighty-five. Right. Right. And to like, even at certain points, I was like, "Fuck, am I being stupid? Am I, am I selling a little bit too early?" But then once that thing crashed, I was like, "Holy cow! What what, yeah. a, what a game changer!" Right. Yeah. Well, that's the tricky thing too, right? Is a lot of people don't realize like. You know, you look at Tesla, for example, like it's it's a good solid company. Like it's, you know, it's not a junk stock by any means. But the thing is when when companies start moving like that, they become they become just a technical play, right? They're not like at this point, it's not an investment. And then people start throwing their money and they don't know what they're doing. Like, um, you know, good examples like Moderna that I can think of as well off the top of my head. If you look at Moderna on the daily chart, like back when they announced their their vaccine release from, you know, whenever it was six months ago or whatever that was, you know, I had this big spike from a hundred bucks to 170 or whatever. And I remember a bunch of people were like, you know, they're telling me like, Oh my God, I told I should have bought that blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, you watch that thing. I was like, it moves that fast. I was like, I guarantee you that that thing's coming straight back down. And it, it sure enough, it did. It went from like 170 down to like 120 in a matter of like a couple hours or something like that, just tanked hard. And it was, if you look at it technically, it's like, you know, if it wasn't $170 a share, that'd be the perfect kind of play that I would like to short, right? <laughs> so <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a point where, you know, you got to kind of combine the two, like have, have really good technicals and a good understanding of those kind of moves as well, which is, you know, a lot of investors don't, I don't want to say a lot of investors don't, but it's, it's, it's something that not a lot of people are as aware of if they're investing in good companies. They think, oh, it's moving really fast. You know, we'll buy some more, buy some more, and then it'll come right back down. Like I know, I know a bunch of people who bought Tesla at the top and now they're you know they're way underwater because they're like wow you know it went x percentage in a couple of months like it's flying let's get in now while it's still flying and it's like you know that's not when you want to buy that's when you want to sell right so that's, yeah that's something a lot of people need to to remember too is it's when everybody's excited about something that's not the point you want to buy that's when you want to start taking profits yeah it's a weird psychological thing it's like so tempting to jump in when everybody's buying and it's stocks going up but like you should be thinking counter trend at that point it's like no you should be selling right right yeah well it's, 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 yeah it's it's, it's it's just you know it's buyers versus sellers right if you look at a stock and it's it's flying up it's flying up it's like okay what's what's happening right now like people buy a stock because they think okay it's it's a good price i want to buy this stock at, at this price this is good stock let's say it's a hundred dollar stock you know goes up to 120 bucks. People are like, oh, it's flying. You know, it does that one day. People are like, oh, it's ripping up. Let's buy some more. goes up to 150. More people, oh, buy it, buy it. It's going up, it's going up. Let's say that thing gets to $250. Eventually, even the people that were excited and chasing are going to be like, ah, like I don't want to buy this thing for $250. That seems a little expensive now. All those people are going to disappear. And then all the short sellers are going to come in and say, okay, this thing's starting to look a little exhausted. You know, the volume's kind of coming down. They're going to pile and start selling. And then everybody who was long in the low, you know, around a hundred bucks, they're going to say, okay, like I just made, you know, a hundred percent of my position. I'm going to take some profits. They're going to sell. The short sellers are going to come in too, and it's going to come straight back down. So it's, it's, it's just a matter of thinking of like, you know, when you see any kind of drastic move like that, it's like, okay, who, who's taking this move? Like who's, what's happening right now? Like who's executing orders? Is it shorts? Is it longs? Are people covering? Like what, what's happening here. You got to look at both sides of it and figure out, you know, who's in control of the stock. Yeah. I think, um, I, I see some, I, I started going on Twitter a little bit more to read the comments and I'm like, subscribe to some hashtags like Tesla, whatever. And like when Tesla stock started going down, like last few weeks, like people are like, who are selling? Like who would sell Tesla? I'm like, oh my God. Who would tell Tesla? The guy that bought it at $300 a share. They're happy to sell it now at like 600. You know? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Or the people that are thinking, okay, this thing ripped up like crazy. Let's short it and, you know, make a hundred bucks to the downside or whatever. Right. Yeah. They don't realize it's a cycle. Like things just don't go up in a straight line. No. Stay up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it doesn't work like that. And that's, that's the problem. A lot of people don't realize like, you know, I, cause I, I kind of, I flip through Twitter every now and again, just to look at like, you know, the junkie stocks that I follow. And it's like, you know, like AMC is a good example right now where, you know, what's the, what are we, March 21st or whatever. So AMC, if you look at that on Friday, which would have been March, March 18th, 2021, if you look at that on Friday, it was like super manipulated. Like I've never seen anything like that. I don't know if you looked at the chart, but it was like, 
It was at like 1430 and 1440. It literally just went straight sideways in that range all day long. And then at 1602, like four, four, four o'clock in two seconds, there was 45 million shares executed two seconds after the bell. So you know that there's just like a huge hedge fund in there that's trading that thing and then it dumped it down 50 cents. So, you know, everybody on Twitter is all like freaking out about it because they're saying like, well, it's kind of manipulation. And like, I just happened to look at it because I haven't been watching it for a while and I just glanced at it and I was like, I looked at it, I was like, wow, I haven't seen anything like that since like OTCs years ago, right? That used to happen all the time. Guys would, they just channel it into a little, into a little range and then they would fill whatever side they're working on, whether it's the long or the short side, they would put a huge short order and a huge buy order and then they would just get filled in whatever side they wanted to be. And then they would lift the opposite side of the order and the stock would just rip down or up. Right. So I don't know what's going to happen on Monday, but it's should be interesting. I think it's probably going to rip down based on the fact that it dipped a bit after hours. And you said it was Friday, right? Yeah. So that makes sense because uh, Friday's expiration Friday, that would be, that would be calls, calls and puts or options were expiring that day. Okay. So I think these guys are not only playing the market, but they're also playing the market and then probably screwing up some options uh, buyers. I don't know if the long side or the short side, but they're probably fucking them over somehow too. Yeah, yeah, it was just really, I've, I've honestly never seen that in you know four years of looking at markets. I've never seen that on a listed stock before. It's really See, weird. It's this kind of thing that worries me because I think we both keep saying it. We've never seen markets behave right now the way that it's behaving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so like, so that's that's why like my strategy of being in cash i'm like thinking like it would be the dumbest thing to do in like periods of calm mm -hmm. just like the straight up movement like good good times but i don't okay. think we're heading into like calm times no no <laughs> so like I'm, that's what i'm thinking like if we're not heading into calm times then the strategy should be in cash and not get not be constantly exposed get exposed by uh, inequities right well, it's like, remember that, that article I sent you uh, this morning, I think it was on Seeking Alpha, it said that, uh, like, I can't remember the numbers, it was something like there was, out of the 300 some odd billion stimulus checks, there's like $57 billion of it that is going into equities in Bitcoin, like at a 50-50 split. <laughs> I was just like, oh man, these people, and I, like, I, so I'm looking on Twitter and it's like, there's people on there like, yeah, man, like, you know, my stim check just came in going right into the side. And it's like some guy, like, you know, he bought like $400 worth of GME or like something stupid. I'm just like, oh my God, man. <laughs> but like, that's, that's the market we're in right now, right? The government's just handing money out to people. There's millions of new traders in the market that have no idea what they're doing. And it's like, it's just making things like totally out of whack. Like moves are just getting so much more dramatic. It's crazy. Yeah, and like I'm, I'm genuinely scared for the crypto market. Not so much for Bitcoin because there seems to be like a group, a giant group of people that don't even care about Bitcoin. They go straight into crypto and they start buying all the shit coins, like the things that do nothing because they rip like, you know, ten x, hundred x, like a GME. Yeah, yeah. And so like, there's this one coin that's like, it's making me really mad because it's absolute garbage, but it did like a hundred x in like three months. Okay. It's like eight dollars and fifty cents now, but it came up from like three cents. Oh, yeah. And so, like, it's called uh, Theta. So basically, these guys are trying to create a decentralized uh, YouTube, which makes no sense to me. Uh, because it's like, why would YouTube? There's some certain things that should not be decentralized, right? When you have a central server, you get efficiencies, you get good download speeds, you get um, uh, good uh, efficient hard drive use, right? If you start to decentralize content, then, then like every node becomes a server, then every node has to hold the same content, right? It's like it's like BitTorrent. When you go on BitTorrent, only the popular movies download fast and the less popular ones download um, slow because not many people hold them. That's the problem with decentralization, right? But these guys are trying to just play on the blockchain thing. They're like, okay, let's decentralize YouTube because fuck it, why not? And then we're going to make it so that we're going to create this token and it's going to pay the content creators and it's even going to pay people to watch it. Right. Hmm. And so people are piling in on this. They're like, oh, what a great concept. If I'm watching this YouTube thing, YouTube competitor, I get paid. And then if you're a content creator, I get paid too. I go on their website. Their most popular video has 350 views. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing though. It's it's not it's not about like it's not about what it is, right? Like, I mean, like like for me, this is like this is no surprise for me because that, that's the world I live in, right? Like every single stock that I trade is a useless company that's not making money, that's probably horribly in debt, has, has 16 pages of offerings over the past years, and 
you know, every single day on my scans, I'm seeing stuff that's up 30, 40, 50, 60% every day. Right. So it, it has nothing to do with the company. It's, it's just, people are seeing this stuff. That's why I like that stuff because the people that are buying that kind of company, I know they don't know what they're doing. So it's easy to take their money. Right? So yeah. you know, they, they, they see something that's, that's garbage and they're like, Oh, like, man, this thing is three cents or, you know, it's, it's five cents or it's six, whatever it is. And they're like, they're like, wow, like this sounds like a good idea. Like, man, I could take a thousand bucks, throw it into this thing. That's three cents. And if it goes up to six cents, I just doubled my money. If it goes up to a dollar, then, Oh, I got I can quit my job. Right. That's all they're thinking. But like, you know, there's, there's thousands and thousands of stocks out there that are all in the same area. So the, the odds of you actually getting into the one that's going to do that and make you that money is so it's like winning the lottery. Like it's so infinitesimal. It's, 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 it's like, it's just gambling. It's, it's, that's all it is. It's just gambling. It is gambling. But the thing is a lot of these, these guys actually think they look at tokens as if they were equity. They really, they even talk about it. Like I'm investing in this coin. I'm like, you're investing in nothing. They sold you a piece of digital code. Like you have your own. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's like, and that's why like I'm, I'm really afraid for the crypto market because I think what happened in, in the O1.com bubble is going to happen in the crypto market. Because mm -hmm. O1, everyone, internet was the hottest thing. People were investing in pets.com even though it did nothing, right? right. Like flowers.com, right? Right, right. Companies did nothing. And right. so they all crashed because they do nothing. So like I'm worried that a lot of these stimulus checks are going to go into like fucking data, decentralized YouTube, who has no marketing and no views. Yeah. And they're going to lose all the stimulus checks. Yeah, for sure they will. But it, like, but then on the same token, you know, if you look at like, it'll be interesting to see how Bitcoin handles that. Because if you look at something like Bitcoin, where there is, you know, you have banks, you have fund managers, you have all these like real investors putting their money into that. They're going to be looking at that as, you know, buying something cheaper on the dollar. If it comes down a little bit, they're going to be dip buying that. Whereas all the garbage that's, you know, the thousands of cryptocurrencies that are garbage, nobody's going to be buying them. They're just going to come straight down and all those people are going to lose their money if they don't sell when they're on their way up. Right. But if you look at Bitcoin or some of the better ones, we know that there's institutional investors. We know that there's companies buying this. We know that it's getting widely accepted. It's something that if it comes back a little bit, people are going to buy it as an investment because they know it's becoming worldwide viable. That's the difference. Yeah, hundred percent. It's funny you should say that. I just made a bet with a guy last night. I was a little drunk, but still a bet. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a guy named uh, Willie Wu. He, he does. He's a really good analyst for Bitcoin. He does a lot of the on-chain analytics and he looks at the data and whatever. And he was and he made a post last night that said. Um, Basically, he said Bitcoin will not, there's so much support for Bitcoin at a certain price that it shouldn't ever trade below uh, $1 trillion asset class anymore. So $1 trillion is probably like 55K Bitcoin. And I'm like, I bet you it will. And a bunch of people said, like, I bet you it will, right? And then he actually got another guy. He said, okay, I, I will I will tell you that Bitcoin will not close below $44,600 anytime this year on the daily. Okay. And I'm like, I'll take that bet. I bet him half a Bitcoin. And he accepted. So he's in Australia, I think. Like, I think he's asleep, but I'm waiting for him to wake up. We're going to put this thing in escrow and see what happens, right? Yeah. Like, on the surface, it seems like a stupid bet. But if you think about it, I basically bought a put option, a put call, a put option on Bitcoin, right? Where, I, where I'm going to get half a Bitcoin if I'm right. And I'm paying no premium. Mm hmm because that's the problem with options like you, you generally lose money because of the premium it's just overpriced right but if i'm getting 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 the option for free if bitcoin goes up my entire portfolio goes up okay so i just lost a little insurance money big deal yeah bitcoin goes down i get half a bitcoin yeah yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> a good bet. yeah it's a good like you're really hedging yourself what's that you're hedging yourself i'm hedging myself and i did it while drunk too so i'm pretty proud of that <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure this actually happened, right? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I screenshotted. Like, I was watching Yellowstone last night. I was drinking and I was checking my Twitter. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, I just take that bet. I fell yeah. asleep. I woke up this morning. He's like, I accept. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> guess I got to do this now. I guess I got to do this now. So, yeah, let's see what happens. But, yeah, man, it's, it's like, I think that's the important thing, right? It's like, it's a matter of perspective. You can't look at anything from a linear perspective. Yes, it'll go up. It can only go up or it can only go down. Like, but within that, you could like structure things that'll help you out, right? I'm not, yeah. I'm not a Bitcoin bear, but I know it should go down. And yeah. 44,600 is a very reasonable level. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I don't like I don't see I don't see the the crypto market crashing like it did either in 2017 because the fundamentals and like the people that are involved in it now is so different from back then. And it's it's really not like it's not like a hype thing like it was then. Like if you think of the dot com bubble or, you know, you think of like any of the any of the trendy things like, you know, we had the Ebola stocks like the coronavirus stocks, like all like, you know, all those different sectors like the weed stocks, like when any of that stuff kind of starts to run like it becomes all everybody's talking about. And it's such a big focus that, you know, that's, that's kind of one of the advantages of being in small cap land is I see that every day. So like I'm seeing this random company that has nothing to do with Bitcoin being like, Oh yeah. You know, like, Oh, and by the way, like we, we just bought a blockchain, like something that doesn't even make sense. Right. And then their stock goes up 200%, right? Like we're not seeing that now. Like I'm not seeing any of that in the small cap world. Like people are announcing stuff about Bitcoin. It's, you know, you're getting a, a modest move. It's not like people aren't going crazy about it anymore. So from from that perspective alone, I would say that I wouldn't consider it a bubble right now by any means. Um, but yeah, like the coronavirus stocks, all that stuff, that was that was a bubble. I mean, it, things ripped up. People would say, oh, you know, we're we're thinking about making lab coats that are good around coronavirus. And the stock goes up 300 percent overnight. Right. Like that's the kind of stuff that is a bubble. <laughs> I saw this one company, they made these um, electronic sensor GPS things, and they, as soon as coronavirus happened, they pivoted. They're like, corporations will start using this. All Every employee in an office will start wearing these trackers, and they'll tell you when you're getting too close to somebody. <laughs> yeah, great. It's like, what? What? Yeah, I know. That's how it works, right? Because like, you, you can release anything in a news article. Like, there's, there's nothing, like, there's nothing illegal about saying something in a news article. Like, if I owned a company, I could be like, my projections for our company next year are that we're going to be, you know, we're going to quadruple our earnings. We're going to quadruple our sales. Our company is going to go from being worth nothing to being worth $10 million by next year. I can release that in a big headline, send it to all the news articles. Like, like maybe that's my plan. Maybe that's what I'm trying to do. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. So yeah, yeah. people see that. And then if it's something they're excited about, they'll go nuts about it. Right. That's why they do that is they, you know, they as a company can say, okay, like, we manufacture pens. Let's just say, oh, we're we're manufacturing. Uh, we're starting to manufacture pens for hospitals to help with coronavirus. They've probably been doing that for thirty years. It's pens. Everybody uses pens. Like it's you know, it goes to the hospital. Big deal. Stock goes up two hundred percent, right? Yeah. Because yeah, they see coronavirus, and then it goes up. This new uh, antibacterial coating on the pens or something. Yeah. yeah. Anything, right? Like it could be. It could be just a thought that they had, and they're like, okay, well, we're thinking about it, so let's make a news article. Make some money, right? That's that's yeah, all. Meanwhile, meanwhile, the CEO, the C-suite uh, executives out back are selling, the, are dumping the stock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's what they do. That's the first thing I always do is I look and I'm like, oh, look at that! They got a two hundred million dollar at the market offering, and they just send out this bogus news article. Like, I wonder what's going to happen. Yeah, you remember? Um, I don't know if you remember. Like a few months ago, when the Moderna first released their vaccine results, like it was preliminary. No one's even like, uh, what's it called? The um, nobody's vetted the study or whatever. But yeah. they announced the test results and they found out like a week later that the CEO was selling shares. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, because he knows he's going to get a huge move, right? So he might as well take advantage of it. It's but, such a, it's so, there's so much manipulation in the market, man. It's, but like that, that's the thing, right? Like that's that's what happens all the time. Like there's there's those sectors and then there's like the big monster bubbles, right? So like you get sectors like that all the time where stuff just runs up like crazy but that, that's you know going back to bitcoin again that's why i don't think it's going to be something that that pulls it down hard i think it's just going to be all the garbage companies that you know all the garbage cryptocurrencies or whatever that are going to come down just because they're they're garbage and nobody's going to actually invest in them but like i said i mean in small caps like you're, you're not seeing the same kind of push that we did back in 2017 and that's when everything came down hard because everybody who couldn't afford to invest in bitcoin they're investing in these really shit companies and they're losing all their money right now we have, you know, all these institutional investors, we have ETFs, we have, you know, all these different things that are legitimate areas that people can put their money into the stock or into the crypto without actually buying Bitcoin. So it just becomes a lot more viable. It's a lot harder for it to just snap and fall because the people that are putting their money into Bitcoin itself in some regard is not garbage news articles. It's actual real cryptocurrencies to some degree. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. That uh, the first uh, Bitcoin ETF that got approved uh, in Canada, the Purpose ETF, they started out with, I think, $5 million worth of Bitcoin, which is nothing. That was like day one of trading. As of Friday of last week, they now have a billion dollars asset under management, about 14,000 Bitcoins they, they now own. I mean, right. so these, 
within like a, I don't know, it's been a five-week period, these guys have snapped up 14,000 Bitcoins, just snapped it up off the market. Like, And that's just, the, that's our Canadian one. So once they open one of those in the States, they're going to do the same thing. And it's just going to be all that buying pressure, right? Yeah. So the, actually, it's funny you mentioned that the next 45 days should be interesting because there's five ETFs that applied for, or maybe three, that applied for approval in the States. Uh -huh. uh, the first one that did Van Eyck, they've applied before it got rejected. They applied in December. And now the SEC has announced that they're actually looking at looking at their their, their submission now. And the SEC has 45 days to respond yes or no. Hmm. So if you think a Canadian ETF could do a billion dollars, what can a US ETF do? Oh yeah, it'll be ten right. times for sure. Yeah, so they could they're gonna they might be snapping up. I mean if they get approved, they're gonna be snapping up the Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be really good. Yeah. Hmm. So it's like it's an interesting time right now, but but, but but that's why like I want to have cash on the side because like I, like you you've seen the charts right the, 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 the stocks look overextended like almost every stock every like the big the big, guys, the big caps even the indexes right yeah yeah and I just don't see I would be I'd be happy if they made new all time highs but I don't see it happening yeah it's tough I don't like I don't like it you know I don't like it when anything just goes steadily up for a really long time I like to see like those nice waves, you know, it's kind of settled a little bit and come back up when things just, it just, just get more and more nervous. The longer things just kind of keep creeping up and creeping up and creeping up. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, I'm wondering like what happens when stimulus dries up? Like how, there's no know, new money. That's a huge thing that a lot of people don't realize. And when that happens too, like, you know, so many of these people are putting their money in the junk stocks. Like we already know. So a lot of them have already lost their money. They're probably going to lose it again. And then there's going to be no more stimulus. And then there's still going to be all those people that are unemployed. It's going to be, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to give it more thought, but I think right now I'm going to do maybe like 40% in cash, do my same strategy. I'm going to hold my same core Tesla position, but maybe just start trimming some of it, like hold less than I normally would have. And then, um, yeah, just like 40% in cash and just wait. Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm about the same right now. I'm like, I think I'm like twenty percent cash right now. Yeah, I put some I'm using a little bit more to do like the swings and stuff I'm working on. But even so, like I mean the, like I have, I think like forty percent I'm in like longer term stuff, and then everything else I'm just in like swings that I'm looking at for like a week or a month period. So it's not like I'm going to be tied up very long anyways. Yeah, so. yeah. So I think that's going to be. Oh, by the way, I uh, remember we were talking before, like just kind of jokingly, if we should open a fund or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I asked my buddy about that. He says it's actually super difficult from a regulatory perspective. Like they, their family has um has a fund, but they they opened it decades ago at a time when the regulation was a lot easier. Okay. So it's like so it's like now if you if if he, if we wanted to do what we wanted to do, a fund is probably not possible. But what we would do is we would incorporate, we would create a corporation and pool our money into the corporation and invest it as the the corporation. Oh, okay. So you just make like you just make like a like a business basically. Yeah, we just we just like you register a corporation. It'll be like a business that, that where the cash flow will be used for investing purposes, and we just pay capital tax gains or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So basically the same thing, anyways. The same thing, yeah. But uh, but uh, Jack of all trades fund. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Investing us. Oh man! Imagine we go public. Let's go public with via SPAC. Oh my god. <laughs> We'll be billionaires. I can retire. Everybody's buying those things. <laughs> oh, let's let's do a Wolf of Wall Street. Like sell it on the pink sheets, like OTC. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> good man. There's a lot of people that buy that now. Oh my god, that's hilarious. Let's oh. set that up. Let's set that up for like eight years from now. The next boom. The next big stimulus. Yeah, <laughs> the next big crash when the government starts giving out money. That's when we'll open our fund. We'll be open for six months and we'll shut it down and move to the Bahamas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. That's awesome. I think we should end it from here. What do you think? All right. Sounds good. Awesome. 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 All right. Thanks, guys, for watching. Like and subscribe, and uh, see you next week. Yeah.